0: Hi, this is the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Richard Lanford, the pastor of St. Peter's United Church of Christ. And this podcast is for World Communion Sunday, which is Sunday, October third, twenty twenty one. Rich Schneider is our lector. He'll be reading from he'll be reading selections from the the Book of Job the letter to the Hebrews, and the Gospel according to John. The sermon title, actually the homily title, it is much shorter than a usual sermon, is called The Communion of Suffering Christians. And you'll get where I'm going with that by listening. And here we go.
1: This morning we have a combination of readings suggested by the lectionary and one chosen by our pastor in marking World Communion Sunday. Our first is from the book of Job, beginning with the first verse of the book, then turning to verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2. In between, we would hear of the death of Job's children in a freak windstorm, the killing of all his servants, and the abduction of all his livestock by the Sabaeans. This was in response to Satan's challenge to God to truly test the righteous Job's deep faith. He laments these horrific losses and says, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then chapter two begins. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a pot shard with which to scrape himself, and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God, and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This ends the reading from Job. Our epistle lesson is next. It is from the letter to the Hebrews, the first four verses of chapter one and then chapter two, verses five through 12. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful work. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels, but someone has testified somewhere. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through all whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. This ends the reading from Hebrews. This World Communion Sunday morning, the Gospel is John chapter six, verses 27 through 14. The chapter started with Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the theme of bread carries on from there. After the miracle, Jesus returned across the Sea of Galilee, and the townsfolk from the other side sailed over to find him. This is where our story picks up in the middle of a conversation about working for the bread that does not perish, but is from God and doing God's work. Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us, then, so that we may believe it, and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to you, and anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Here is the reading from the Gospel and The Scriptures for this morning's service. May God give us a wise and generous understanding of this God's holy word.
0: Having a sense that you've fulfilled your purpose be a short-term purpose. It doesn't mean like your whole life. But having a sense that you've fulfilled the purpose is great. It's a great feeling. Suffering is not a great feeling. It's not great at all. Although it may fulfill a higher purpose at some time. And while the feeling of accomplishment may not come or may come, regardless of what's going on, very hard times do come to everyone. Suffering is a universal experience, and so we have a friend in Job. Suffering has many, many different types and lots of different levels. Job is an example, or actually a rather extreme example. His suffering was emotional grief at the loss of his servants and adult children. It was an economic disaster, another kind of suffering which also brings with it uncertainty for the future. After some of his proverbial patience in chapter 1 and 2, he lets out his spiritual pain. His wife's comments evidently did not help him, nor did his friends, though they started up good. We all undergo times of anguish and agony and searing pain, whether we believe in God or not. It's been some time since I shared with you that I do find some meaning in Job's statement, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not the bad? I shared it in a sermon some time ago as I rediscovered that understanding in an episode of the old TV show, Sisters. The mom was diagnosed with cancer or her husband, but I think it was her, and it was rather devastating, and her kids were kind of, questioning her faith or God. She said, I never questioned when I got blessings. Why should I question when bad things happen? When Camille Jacobson, one of my parishioners when I was the pastor at St. Nikolai in Chicago, came down with lung cancer, she said, some people say that I should be angry and say, why me? I don't, not me. So many people get this disease I kind of think, why not me? Why should I expect to be exempt? And she, she was a smoker. but And maybe that helped her have that attitude. But not everyone, not every disciple of Jesus thinks or feels that way. Job himself did not stay patient and accepting. As I like to say, those who talk of the patience of Job didn't read past chapter 2. After our passages, Job let his anger and pain and confusion out. In chapter 6, he vents, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the earth. And the sand of the sea, excuse me. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks of their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. He speaks directly to God in chapter 30. I cry to you, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you merely look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You toss me about in the roar of the storm. I know that you will bring me to death. His forthrightness, telling God what he thinks of God and how angry and disappointed and grieving he is, that tells me, and Jeremiah does the same thing in at least one chapter, this forthrightness tells me that it is okay if we need to scream our anger at God, our confusion at God. God can take it. Job's brave honesty, Is a model for us. Now, Job had no supportive community. He struggled with his faith in God. And he did not have what you and I have World Communion Sunday and Jesus Christ. And we in the body of Christ are also among those who suffer. And the body of Christ itself suffers. We are not alone. Ideally, Through our faith and faith communities, we do not suffer alone, even if a lot of times we do or feel we do. I believe that we in the church are meant to have a system of solidarity and support for our trials, mutual support for our trials, and our rejoicing and all life in between. Last Sunday, I quoted from Rachel Held Evans lifting up our potential for being a very authentic place and people where we acknowledge to one another, as at least a lead-up to a prayer of confession in that context, where we acknowledge to to one another that, no, we're not okay. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, we hurt deeply. Like Job We can be rigorously honest about our talking about and to God and our circumstances with one another. In the same spirit, even if it's, and I shouldn't even say even if, because there's value, it's by phone call or text or some other way, not necessarily in person, we can be a supportive band of sufferers who also believe in Christ. Christ who, as the letter to the Hebrews reminds us, also suffers. We heard Rich read, We do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that he might taste death for everyone. We remember that the Jesus with whom you and I, the church here and online, and around the third rock from the sun, the Jesus with whom we commune with is one, capital O, one acquainted with sorrows. We know this: the physical story, the whipping, the denial and betrayal by his friends, a messed up trial, and a crucifixion. The suffering church comes together with has a spiritual union with this Jesus who suffered, who died and rose again when we're at communion. Though Church Universal on World Communion Sunday has an indescribable kind of union with Christ, this Christ, we find his solidarity, his accompaniment, his example and strength to go forward In our faithful suffering, we support each other spiritually, if not also actually, with honesty. And in our faithful suffering brought to communion, we get support and mercy from the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. And I guess the crux of the message is are we aware of this reality? Can we draw on it? When I was, again, another St. Nikolai story, but I've told it before, just not for many years. We had communion. We had rail communion. And on the last set, I think, uh, there was an old guy at my left, and his name was Paul Engel. Paul Engel uh, was an old man then in the late 80s, early 90s, and his family went back in the history of the church. When the church burned down in the mid 19 teens. He was alive then and part of the church then. And so when I had communion, sometimes I would, you know, the actual bread cup. And I'd think about and look over Paul and think, I'm communing with that part of the church's life through him. And then it doesn't take much to expand to other Christians we have known or loved and lived with who are no longer among those on earth. Going back to Simon Peter and John, we are at one with them somehow through time and space. We can draw on that. But we're talking primarily about Jesus. But we also are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. The communion of saints who knew distress and loss and fear and death, but kept looking forward. By God's grace, they made it through. And they encourage us. And so may we make it through In closing, some of you might be thinking about the phrase redemptive suffering. Jesus is the supreme example of that. Suffering is horrible. But sometimes, something very good can come out of it. One has to be careful about how one uses and thinks about and describes redemptive suffering. Christ's passion and death and resurrection horrible as that was, did bring about not only salvation, but also validation for everyone who seeks to live the gospel life, work for justice and mercy and love and minister to the least. In the first centuries of the early church, when persecution was the life of discipleship, one of our early leaders of the early church, Tertullian, used a phrase that now has been anglicized as the blood of the martyrs, is the seed of the church so what was happening then was the more people saw Christians pay the ultimate price or a steep price for their faith the more the church grew people saw what was going on and they saw thought these people are willing to go through this for something someone they believe in what is that I want to find out what that is because they didn't really A lot of people didn't seem to have that in their life. It was attractive in a way. And so that phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, it grew. So that's another example of redemptive suffering. It does not justify the persecution that came. When COVID hit South and West Sides, we learned again that suffering existed. And we learned again, if not for the first time, that such suffering existed in those places via planned access, lack of access to quality health care and education and more. Now with revitalized and new efforts to reverse that, partly born out of that new awareness in the parts of many, that there can be some redemption at work regardless of the role of faith. The awareness of suffering brought to light over systemic racial injustice, attacks upon Asian Americans, and the hashtag MeToo movement may move things closer to that that suffering maybe being redeemed by changes over time. It does not justify the suffering that took place. And for you and me in the Church, at World Communion, we are fortified by a human and mystical partnership with other suffering Christians, churches, and Christ himself. We are lifted up somehow by being brought together in the Spirit with the crucified and risen Christ and suffering fellow believers, wherever they are, hoping that whatever you and I undergo, we hope that others may be blessed and built up for good later, if not we ourselves too as the overarching values of God advance through us to neighborhoods and families and churches and nations alike. And when that does happen, that is good news. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. It is my hope that this message will expand what you're thinking about and feeling and considering as, uh, you know, in the next time, and uh, the next times that you take communion, whenever and wherever that is. We didn't include an opening prayer in our intro, which I so often do. And so let me send us off with a brief closing prayer generous God, God of the past, the present, and the future, where you await us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the solidarity that Jesus has with those who suffer. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ, the power of which is given to us also. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the church universal. And now, O God, we ask that you bless us on our way. Amen. In Christ's name, amen. And so, thanks again, and may God bless your week. Thanks for listening.